morning, Living Hope. All right. So um, if I appear um, out of it or um, antisocial or whatever the case may be, forgive me. I've, I've been under the weather most of the week and uh, trying not to get any of you sick. So um, I'll give you a wing, a fist bump, something like that. But uh, anyway, so we're going to continue on in our uh, Nehemiah series that we've been in called The Wall uh, and where we've been looking at how, uh, you know, we kind of follow through on the dreams that God gives us. And uh, so you can turn over to Nehemiah chapter 8, Nehemiah chapter 8. We're going to be on page uh, 404 if you're using one of the Bibles from the back. All right. So um, I, you guys know, if, if you've been around here very long, I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, food. I, I don't know any, any other fans of food. Like seriously, who doesn't raise their hand for being a fan of food? Like, like, isn't that everybody? Like, is there anybody here that like hates food? Like, uh, like I love food. And so I love food a lot. I love food. It's, uh, um, it can be, food can be a little bit spiritual for me. Um, because it's just that awesome. It's just exactly that awesome. And so, uh, one of my favorite places to eat, uh, for a long time is this little, uh, dive pizza place in Berkeley called Zachary's. Uh, who here has ever eaten a Zachary's before? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hands high. That's good. All right. So you guys know what I'm talking about. The rest of you got to get on board quickly, uh, because it is, uh, in my opinion, hands down the greatest pizza, um, ever, ever, ever. Uh, it's a Chicago style pizza, real thick pizza. Um, I've eaten at all the famous Chicago pizza places in Chicago, Lou Malnati's and Giovanni's and all those places and they're, they're great. Don't get me wrong. But, um, but Zachary's will stand toe to toe with any of them. I guarantee you it is so good. It is amazing. It is just like this, this thick buttery, uh, crust. And actually the crust is not thick on the bottom. It's kind of thin on the bottom. And then there's like, you know how you go to, uh, you order like a thick pizza from pizza hut, but it's only thick because it's like all bark, right? It's not, you know, it's, it's just, just bread. It's all bread. Right. And so at Zachary's, it's a little bit of a thin crust on the bottom with about an inch and a half of cheese on top. It is just amazing. It is so good. And the, 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 the sauce on top is absolutely fantastic. It is, it is just, it's unbelievable. And you know you're special to the Myers family if we ever invite you to join us on that spiritual pilgrimage to Zachary's sometime. <laughs> And so we head up to Zachary's and, uh, and it's just so good. And one time, I don't remember who this was, but one time we, we took somebody to Zachary's and uh, we're starting to order and they bring out the pizza and it's just so good. You just can't wait to dive into it. And, uh, and this person's like, like, oh, you know, I'm kind of watching my weight and I don't, I don't know if I should, you know, just do this number, right? Totally wanted to punch him in the face. And, and, and the reason was like, like there are just certain things, there are certain foods that when these foods get presented to you, um, that it's almost sinful to turn them down. It's just almost sin- like, like it's literally like a slap in the face of God to, to reject that gift. And, and, and that's the way this pizza is. And maybe you've got a favorite food that's that way, that way too, but it is just, it's just off the, it's just off the hook. Good. It's so, so good. And I, I get, you know, if you're, if you're dieting, if you're watching, like I, I try to, you know, eat healthy uh, occasionally and, and, and I, <laughs> I do. I do. I really do. And, um, and so like, I get the struggle. Don't get, I don't, don't think I don't get the struggle. I, I totally get the struggle. I get the struggle of, 
of, you know, struggling with your, you know, your diet, your weight, whatever, your health. I, I get that struggle. But again, there's just some things it's like, okay, like when you get like, like, for instance, like who here's dieting on Thanksgiving day, if you're dieting on Thanksgiving day, seriously, you need to like whip yourself and repent. And, and like, that's just, that's just wrong. You shouldn't be dieting on Thanksgiving day. That that's the day that, that, that and this is actually biblical. It's actually biblical that God established certain feast days and they were, they were part of the religious calendar in the, in Jewish life. And it was not expected that anybody would, would, I mean, everybody was going to be a glutton on those feast days. Everybody was going to eat and be crazy on this. It's not, it's not gluttony. If you do it once in a while, it's gluttony. If every day is Thanksgiving, right? If every day is Thanksgiving, then, then you've got an issue. If you take an occasional day and you celebrate and you praise God, you do all that kind of stuff, then eat, 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 eat until you can't eat anymore, right? That's biblical. All right. You're like, where are you going with this, Jeff? I'm, I'm getting there. Give me, some, give me some time. So what happens then is, I, again, I get the struggle. I get that thing. But if you're constantly, like there's this great story. It's one of my favorite stories, a little book, a little, little piece of fiction by an author named Brennan Manning called um, The Boy Who Cried Abba. And uh, it's just a great little story. It's about this little boy, a little Mexican boy named Willie Juan. And he's a, he's a, he's got kind of speckled skin and he's kind of an outcast in his society. Nobody likes him and everybody talks bad about him, makes fun of him. And he just feels horrible about himself. He sees no value in himself at all. And, and he really struggles in that. And Willie Wan has this encounter with who we find out to be Jesus. And, uh, and so Jesus actually shares a meal with Willie Wan and he has, he, he, uh, he, he gets, you know, from a little vendor, he gets a burrito and he offers Willie Wan, you know, uh, some of his burrito and Willie Wan is just, again, he, he struggles identifying himself as anything valuable. So he's like, no, you know, I, there's, I, I don't deserve that from you. And, and I can't, you know, I, I couldn't possibly eat that. And, and, uh, you know, he, and he, he tries it and he does taste it. It tastes wonderful. He loves the taste of it. And then he starts kind of beating himself up, up for, for feeling so good when he knows he doesn't deserve that kind of gift from Jesus. And, and Jesus has this great response in the story to him. He says, he says, Willie Wan, when you come in, when, when, when Christ comes into, when the Lord comes into his kingdom, he said, and you stand before God, he's not going to ask you like how many people, how many poor people did you feed and how many days were you perfect? How many days did you get it totally right and not screw up at all? He said, what he's going to ask, he's going to look you in the face. He's going to say, did you enjoy the burrito? Did you enjoy the burrito? And, and it's just this beautiful little example of, of how, how I think important it is to God that when he gives us good gifts, that we take those good gifts and enjoy them as good gifts. Enjoy them as good gifts. And I can tell you just from being around Living Hopers for eight and a half years now, there are some of you in this room that struggle with this concept. You really struggle just receiving good things from God. You're, you're kind of like Willie Wan telling yourself, I don't deserve this. I'm not worthy. Uh, you know, and, and you just kind of, you look back on your past and you beat yourself up over your past and your mistakes that you've made and the people that you've hurt and the sins that you've committed. And you just constantly let that hang over your head and, and define you. <coughs> the problem with that is, that's not how God defines you. It's not how God defines you at all. And when you, when we define ourselves by our, by our worst mistakes, when we let 
you know, I, I always tell people, somebody comes to me and says, I screwed up, I did this thing, and, and, you know, they're just so ashamed, and they feel like they need to kind of talk about it with me, confess it to me, whatever. And, uh, and, I, and one of the first things I, I say is, don't let this define you. Don't become this mistake, because this is not who you are. This is not who you are. Don't let this hang over your head. Now, we've been reading the story of Nehemiah where Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem after the nation was in exile for decades. And uh, he begins to the process of rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. God had given him that dream. Last week, we, we got to the point, part where they finished the wall. It took them 52 days to build this whole wall around the city. It was incredible, flat out a miracle. As he's... Uh, as the work is now complete, they do what you do when you finish a, you know, a, a big task. They start to celebrate. Um, they start partying and kind of giving praise to God. And they decide the leaders get together and they decide what we want to do because we have been away from this city for decades, because we haven't worshipped in worshipped in, in the temple for decades. Because we have grown up away from all of our old ways, we've, we've found the old scriptures. Let's all gather all the people around and let's read the scripture out loud and remind the people what it looks like to be God's people. What that means, what that looks like. And so this is what they did. They got, gathered all the people around. They began to, to read the old scriptures out loud. And pick it up in Nehemiah chapter 8, starting with verse 9. It says this. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Now, what's going on is, is, is they start reading the scripture. And, and again, they're re-identifying, re-familiarizing themselves with what it looks like to be God's people. And they hear God's law. And they hear all their, you know, this, this, this promise, this covenant that's been passed down from generation to generation of their forefathers. And their hearts become pricked. Their hearts are, are um, uh, convicted. Why? Because they realize suddenly, all the people together realize that for decades, as they've been apart from God and exiled from God and his people and his land, they haven't been living as God's people. They feel very convicted about this, and they begin to weep, and they begin to mourn, and the mourning goes up just in this loud, loud you know, cries and screams. They're so just heartbroken that they have not been faithful to God as he has been faithful to them. And this is what happens next. And then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. So they hear these words, they're convicted, they're mourning, they're in grief over their actions and their behavior for the last de- several decades. And, and the leaders gather them around and say, here's the thing, here's the thing. When, we, when God's word convicts our heart of wrongdoing, 
the proper response is grief. There was nothing wrong with that response. The proper response, it should grieve our hearts to know that we have grieved the heart of God. That's a proper response. However, God does not want us to live there. He doesn't want us to live there. He does not want us to stay there. And so their response to the people is this. Don't grieve. Instead, there's, this is cause for rejoicing. The Lord has gathered you all back. He, is, make, he is, is making you strong again. He will forgive your sin. He will forgive your failings. There is no reason to grieve now. Move forward into rejoicing. Rejoicing. And I think this is a word that a lot of us need to hear this morning. Because there's a lot of you across this room that are somewhat new to the faith, or maybe new again to the faith. You've started, you know, God's kind of been stirring something up inside of you uh, for the first time in a long time again. And, uh, and, and you're looking back over the years that you've wasted not following him. And, and I think a lot of you are stuck in this place of, why did I let all those years go by? And you get stuck in this kind of grieving. And the one point I want to make today is this. You need to leave sorrow behind. God has given you something to celebrate. Leave sorrow behind. God has given you something to celebrate. That there is supposed to be a joy and a freedom about our, this new life that we have in Christ. If you become that person that you're, you know, you're thankful that God has forgiven your sins, but you never allow yourself the freedom to experience the life in Christ that he's given you. That, that is, to me, such a tragedy, such a shame. That so many people will go through their whole lives and God has unlocked the chains of that, that sin and grief and shame, uh, guilt and shame had on your life. He's unlocked those chains and you grab the keys out of his hand and you lock them back up again. When what he has for you is freedom and joy. Freedom and joy. I um, <coughs> Friday, I got a call from my mom. And um, she was uh, telling me that uh, my, my, her mother, my, my grandmother, my grandma Irene, um, is uh, close to death. And within the next handful of days, she'll, she'll most likely um, die. And um, she said, I wanted to give you a heads up so you can begin to make you know, plans to come out if you're going to come out for the funeral or whatever. And um, I, I, love, I love my grandma a lot. Uh, she's, she's my last living grandma. Uh, grandparent. And, um, I love her. I love her a lot. My relationship with her over the years is, is different now than it was when I was a little boy. Um, on my mom, on my mom's side of the family, um, well, my grandma Irene, uh, was not always a Christian. And, um, uh, when I was a young boy up till age nine or 10, uh, when we would go to Wichita, Kansas to visit my mom's side of the family, we would visit what were what was actually her aunt and uncle because my grandma Irene, uh, early on when my mom was young, abused my mom. And my mom ended up going to live with her aunt and uncle and was raised by her aunt and uncle. And so we would start off Christmas or Thanksgiving or whatever at, at uh, one set of grandparents that really wasn't my grandparents. They were really like a great aunt or uncle to me. And, uh, but they were, but they were like a, they were like grandparents to me. Right. 
And, uh, and then at some point, you know, as the day went on, we would change locations to the other side of town and we would, we would go be with that other set of family and cousins, go to my grandma Irene's house. And it was just different there. It was, it was different. And, and I think that maybe the reason it was different, it was probably just more in my head than anything else. But I grew up as a young boy, just hearing my mom nonstop, constantly praying for the salvation of my grandma. Um, that, you know, she had moved on past whatever, you know, had happened to her and, and loved her mom and wanted to see her mom come to Christ. And so we would go over there and it was just different. It was just different. And I remember um, when I was about nine or ten years old, um, one night my mom got a phone call. And this was back in the... So she goes to take a phone call. This is back in the day when phones were attached to walls. And, uh, and so she goes off in the kitchen to take the phone call, right? And my mom screams. Like, just blood. Now, my mom has a blood-curdling scream, if you ever hear her scream. And it could be out of fear. It could be because she's praising Jesus. It, you know, she, she might just scream in the middle of a service, and you think, oh, my gosh, somebody's being stabbed. No, it's just my mom. She's getting happy. And, and, and so that's... So she screams from the kitchen just absolutely screams and we all jump to our feet and run to the kitchen to see what in the world could be wrong. And, uh, and it's, she's talking to my, she's talking to my grandma, Irene on the other end and, and she had given her life to God. She had, you know, she got saved. My mom was so happy. And, um, and from that moment on, everything was different with her, with, with, with my grandma. Um, you guys know we all, you know, when people come to faith in Christ, that process of life change looks different for every, everybody. I think for most of us, it's more, more of a gradual change. You know, we kind of slowly but surely give over parts of our lives to God, and it's kind of a gradual thing. And, but occasionally you meet somebody where the change is drastic, overnight. One day they were one person, the next day they were a completely different person. That was my grandma. She was one person on one day, and then the next day, after Jesus got a hold of her life, she was a changed person, completely different. My grandma is the type of person that if she's in line at a grocery store, you know, the, the, the clerk that's checking her out is going to hear all about Jesus and be invited to church. And, and, and there are countless grocery store clerks that have made their way to my grandma's church because of those conversations. Um, uh, she just, she's that she's this person you cannot get around her and her not bring up Jesus. And it doesn't matter if you're family or a stranger, you're going to hear about Jesus with, with, with my, when my grandma's around. She, she, she would always have these little birds, these cockatiels. Even they would sing. Jesus loves me. <laughs> she would teach. She was teaching little Jesus songs to her birds. I mean, she just, just, she's, she was just a completely different person overnight, overnight. When I think about my grandma's life, I, I think that, that could have gone a couple of different ways. She could have allowed, you know, she could have gone to uh, kind of got things right with God, you know, sought forgiveness of her sins. And she could have then from that point on looked back on all the wasted time and all the mistakes and all the people that she hurt, the people that she loved that she hurt. And she could have allowed that to define her. She could have become that person that just constantly looks back just in mourning over all the things that they did. Or she could have done what she did, 
which was she suddenly realized how much God loved her. And she chose to live in the knowledge of that love. And when you get a real clear view of you get a real clear view of how much our God loves us. He's not expecting perfection out of us. He's not expecting us to be some, he he created us. He knows what we're capable of. Instead, he just wants us to be with him. He just wants us to be with him. I got four kids and, um, and they're all knuckleheads. They all, they all do things that you just, you just look at them like, what the crap? I'm like, really? What, what, are you, what, what were you thinking? What, what could you have possibly been thinking to make that decision, right? Every one of them I've had those thoughts about. But that doesn't matter because they're my kids and there's nothing I love more than for them to just choose to want to be with me. As a parent, is there anything better than that? especially as they get older, is there anything better than when your kid just wants to be with you? It's the best. I think with God, it's the same way, man. He just loves us. Loves us more than we could ever possibly know or realize. Just wants to be with us. My grandma was able to make this change in her life and become this person of absolute joy I mean, she was she just laughs all the time. She's constantly, we just laugh at her because she's laughing all the time. She's just, just, just crazy. She's, she's crazy. She's seriously crazy. And I, we just love her, right? But she, she embraced that joy because, as this passage says, the joy of the Lord is her strength. Joy of the Lord is her strength. We talk about the joy of the Lord. It's not just the joy that we experience by knowing God. I think the joy of the Lord also indicates the joy that God receives from knowing us. Like, do you know that about yourself? Do you know that that when God looks at you, it gives him joy? When he experiences time with you, that brings him joy. Joy, And when we have that knowledge of how much God loves us, that's what strengthens us. That's what builds us up and gives us the strength to carry on. That's what whenever our past begins to haunt us and remind us of how horrible we used to be and the decisions that we made and the people that we've hurt. When we can refix our eyes on the God who loves us, all that stuff just kind of fades away. Just fades away. Joy of the Lord is our strength. I want to challenge us this morning to be people who will not get bogged down in being defined by our mistakes. We all we've all got them. You're no different than anybody. I mean, you, you know, you're no you're no worse a sinner than anybody else in this room. You may you may be thinking you don't, you don't know you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I did, was doing last night doesn't matter. We've all got the skeletons in our closet. We've all made the mistakes that we're ashamed of. If I was to ask you right now to kind of close your eyes and, and, and very quickly just envision the, the worst mistake you've ever made, the one that brings you the most shame, there would be something that would pop into in every single person's mind in this room. 
Every one of us have that one that just makes us cringe. I can't believe I did that thing. I can't believe I allowed myself to go there. What you need to know is that God loves you just as much right now as you're sitting here in church singing praises to him and listening to preaching and getting into his word. And we're just right now in a state of grace as he loved you then back in the state of disgrace. His love for you is unfailing. It's unfaltering. It's never changing. God loves you. He brings us joy and we bring him joy. There's nothing he wants more than us to just simply be with him. So make a decision today. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, all those things that keep haunting me, I'm not going to be defined by that anymore. I'm going to be that person who walks in joy. I'm going to be that person who walks in joy. I love what this passage says when, when uh, they're trying to encourage them not to be in mourning. <coughs> Eat the fat and drink sweet wine. And send portions to anyone who has nothing for this day is holy to our God. You're sitting there beating yourself up. You're trying to, you know, you can't believe the choices that you've made. And God is looking at you going, I gave you this awesome burrito. I gave you this beautiful slice. I have given you eat, eat it up, drink some wine, party with your friends. Why? Because that's not who you are anymore. God has set you free from that. That's not who you are anymore. And that constant like haunting, that constant reminding of all the mistakes that you've made, all that is is just simply a tactic of our enemy to rob you of the joy that God has granted you. Do not allow him to do that. Don't allow him to do that. Live in joy. Live, live in fulfillment Peace. Why? Because that's why Jesus came. That's why he came. I could give you some big theological definition of why the cross was so important and now the atonement theories and all this kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, all that matters is Jesus came to set you free from the garbage you're constantly inflicting on yourself. He came to set you free. So be free. Let's really and truly be free. Let people know that, that, that when they're around you, that there is something different about you. Not because you got your act together, but because you've realized who you are in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's be those kind of people. Don't walk in this shame anymore. It's crippling some of you. It's absolutely crippling some of you. Every time the Holy Spirit speaks to you and tries to challenge you to do something, tries to challenge you to embrace this dream that he's giving you and and calling you to, some of you, all you continually tell yourself is, I could never do that. I'm not good enough for that. I'm not worthy of that. I could never do that. It's just the enemy getting in your head. Kick him out. Just living rent-free in your head. Kick him out. Kick him out. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and uh, we thank you so much for your word to us. And we thank you that you have indeed set us free, and that you give us reason for rejoicing, and that you give us reason for joy. And we thank you that your Holy Spirit speaks to us um, um, and, and stays so close to us that when we fail you and when we walk away from you, 
you do convict our hearts and that does bring us sorrow because that's not the relationship that we want to have with you. But we thank you so much that your Holy Spirit immediately on the heels of that, you challenge us to get back up, to brush ourselves off and get on with the party. So God, help us to rejoice where we've been suffering. Help us to have joy where we've had mourning in the past. Thank you so much for people who come into our lives that give us that example. Help us to be more like that. Help us to be more like that. Lord, we love you. And uh, we just give ourselves to you one more time. Be our God. We want to be your people. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.